subject the popular UK series Skins to a level of scrutiny it may or may not deserve. Um, back with you, uh, back in America, back on the East Coast um, of, of, of America rather than, than Africa, I'm Ryan Shealy, and uh, with me is Matt Rather. Matt, welcome. Jumbo. Jumbo Buana. Yeah, and as so... Uh, welcome back, welcome back. back to the United States. Thanks, thanks, and thank you for you know putting up with the mediocre internet connections and uh, you know for filling in with Jordan while I was while I was gone. Um, you know I think that we've we've definitely hit our stride with uh, this summer school um, and with with skins, don't you think? I think it's fantastic. I mean it's nice. You know, uh, look, uh, if you put a gun to my head, I, I would have to say I prefer either of our. Uh, regular to TV shows, Gossip Girl and Glee, to Skins. But this is a, I mean, if I can't have them, this is a pretty good replacement. I mean, it, you say it may or may not deserve. I think it's proving to deserve it more often than, than not. Definitely. I think that I think that we were on the fence for about the first half of series one. Right. Um, and so for those of you who are following along at home, um, we uh, just concluded last week, uh, Matt and Jordan discussed uh, the uh, series, the penultimate uh, and and final episodes of, of series one of Skins. Um, and now this week we're going to discuss um, uh, episodes one and two of, of series two of, of, of Skins. Um, and I think by about half Way through series one, I think it hit its hit the stride a lot more, um, both in terms of just writing and you know surface level enjoyability, but also in terms of uh, grounds for overthinking and grounds for um, you know sociological and cultural analysis. So I think that um, it, you know we've been um, we've been we've been hitting our stride a lot more. Round about the round about the uh, Russian child brides episode. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that that was a, definitely a turning point uh, for both for for our summer school and for the the series um, itself. And um, and I've been really happy also from a, from afar to see um, th- that our audience has has also taken to this as well. There's been pretty active discussion uh, in the show notes uh, on uh, overthinkingit.com. Um, and so if you're listening to this on uh, on iTunes, um, uh, definitely migrate over there and you can join in, in the conversation there. Um, there's we've been getting some um some some listener feedback uh via uh, email at tftpodcast at overthinkingit.com um and then uh i don't know if we've gotten as much hits on the other forms of social media um we're on twitter at twitter.com backslash tftpodcast um and you can uh give us a call at uh 20 fat jog 01 which is uh 203 Don't give it don't give it wrong. Don't give it wrong. You're fucking the whole thing up. You're fucking the whole podcast up. My God. I know, I know. We were doing so well, and then I didn't, I didn't pre-plan the numbers. 20 Fat Jago 1. You know. 203-285-6401. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, and uh, we, we can also receive text messages on that. Um, and so please text us uh, your, all of your uh, overthought. Uh, I don't know if it's possible to have an overthought text message, um, but try, please, um, and, uh, and send it along. Um, but you know, so so enough of enough of the uh, introduction. Let's get into it. Um, so we're we're we, we're starting off with uh, series two, episode one, um, Tony and Maxie, um, and you know where where we left off um, last week. Uh, Tony had been uh, was was hit by a truck. Um, and uh and and his fate uncertain and we uh and we um season two series two starts to find him um uh, mentally and physically impaired right so he's alive 
um, but is is very reliant on constant care and is is a shadow of his former self. Well, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's unclear exactly what the extent of his sort of cognitive or motor you know deficits are, right? Like, and and there's a sense that he's getting better, right? It it takes a while to recover, and he has mm-hmm. to do like physical therapy to learn to write again, and and uh, you know essentially essentially practice. In a way, it's it's uh, it's a very horrifying scenario because it seems like he, his mind is more or less there uh, but his mind can't control his, his like autonomous nervous system can't control his body in the same way or not, not autonomous that's like breathing and stuff so that, that seems to be working but like he can't lift his hand in the way that yeah. he wants to like he yeah, can't, he can't, he can't grasp this is his fine motor skills yeah uh, no, and I think that, but also, I think that there's also cognitively, right, there's kind of broad strokes are there, but it's the fine cognitive tasks of, um, you know, placing specific people. Um, and remember, you know, like a lot of, sh- it seems like short and medium term memory right. um, is missing. And, you know, and, and in fact, like the, the, the very specific kind of manipulation, right? So, you know, um, at, you know, in, in throughout series one, what we saw, Tony um, very capable of, of is like higher levels of intentionality, right? Of like, you know, thinking like what, you know, what, what she knows, he knows, uh, um, you know, like, like several levels of common knowledge, right? And, and being able to like play out um, social interactions very, very far in advance, like a chess master almost, right? And, and engaged in these fine-grained manipulation, right? So he's lost his ability to manipulate both objects and people, um, and which is, um, as Jordan put, you know, in some ways, especially like the ability to, to you know, mess with people and, and shape people's um, behavior and desires. You know, that was kind of the defining characteristic of of Tony uh, of Tony Stoneham as a character. So, right. for all intents and purposes, you know, Tony Stoneham died, uh, or uh, when he was hit with the, by the truck, or did he? Right. I think that that's like the question that's posed by this episode. Is you know. Um, you know, is Tony dead? Even if, even if he's alive, is is Tony the character um, dead? Right. Um, and I think that it's really. I think I think you're absolutely right that it's it's played very very well and it's very um, very sad. You know, it's very um, it's very very um, distressing and very. You know, they set a very kind of bleak tone um, throughout throughout the episode, um, and it's really. It's really horrifying. Really, they really capture the horror, you know, in, in the depictions of the friends um, and 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 parents. Um, you know, they, they capture like the horror. Yeah, they, well, the, and the sort of the toll. I mean, the realistic yeah, toll that it yeah. that it takes, right? Like we talked about a little bit. Jordan and I talked about a kind of a narrative punishment versus narrative cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. With the you know, in, in a way. In a way, there's something a little melodramatic about Tony getting hit by the truck of, you know, the truck of remorse, you know, right, right as right. he's uh, kind of reformed his reformed his personality. Um, and uh, but but this 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 series opens with with uh, rather than kind of narrative punishment or a kind of mm-hmm. sentimental or moralistic yeah. Yeah. Uh, operation of the narrative, uh, a kind of narrative cause and effect where like I. I it it totally makes sense. I totally buy this as yeah. as as an authentic you know reaction to uh someone um uh, uh, someone close to you in your social group or in your family uh, mm-hmm. uh, suffering a traumatic uh, traumatic injury with uh, that results in in sort of cognitive and fine motor deficits mm-hmm. that that may last uh, into the indeterminate future. Yeah, and I, I think that I mean it's very interesting because you could you could imagine it being played in a way that um, that, it, that it says oh well this happened because you know Tony was kind of a shit right but like you know, this isn't on the table at all like there's very little discussion of the fact you know that you know Tony manipulated his parents that Tony you know or and you know was was you know a shit and dismissive to to his parents or manipulated um, his friends you know that that they're right when when Sid and um, Michelle have this tearful discussion in the woods about about you know how hard it is. They're not saying, oh well, but he he kind of had it coming, you know. Like that's and I think it's very similar in real life when you know tragedy strikes. Most people for a while are not sitting around saying, oh well, 
like you know that dude was an asshole anyhow like good good that this happened good that he got cancer right when, is, yeah or when tragedy strikes a nation even you know what yeah, i mean before yeah. before the kind of uh, this sort of knee-jerk response of like, well, what you know, what were the the yeah. you know multifactorial determinants of this uh, 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 thing happening? You know, uh, before that, we are all Americans. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think we'll get to that. You know, if if we have time to get to um, episode two, we'll definitely talk about that a bit because episode two features prominently uh, school production of Osama the musical. Um, and, and, and I think that, yeah, so I think it's safe to say that like Tony getting hit by a truck, right. Is like, it's his, um, it's, it's that social circles, nine eleven right. Um, yeah. like every, like they all know where they, where they were, uh, when, when Tony was hit by the truck. Right. And right. they've, they've, they've <laughs> though, not... Tony, though Tony himself does not seem to remember. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, he was, he was, uh, he was reading my pet goat. Um, I believe. <laughs> 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 um, uh, and so, yeah, I think we'll see how this plays out. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if, um, in fact, um, there's an arc similar to um, actually similar to America's post 9-11 trajectory of being struck by tragedy, having an amazing amount of goodwill, support, um, and then and then becoming like a huge, a huge cock face once uh, capabilities are restored. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I think we see some I, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if we, we see um, a I, I'm pretty sure at some point Tony's going to return to form. Right. Um, and, and you, you sort of see this right in the in the act of writing his name and of writing Tony Stoneham in the in the closing montage. Um, you know, this is this is an indication of um, of of that that seed of, of self is there. Right. And as in something, it'll either be, you know, seen whether it'll be through effort or um, or or through a sudden shift you know another traumatic event or a jolt or something something's going to flip him back to that that um that that stage i mean I, I just i don't see why they would keep him around to just be to be like this the entire time right, right? This, like this is this is only like this is only useful um in uh or like narratively i think um and thematically is only going to be useful um in the long term with respect to juxtaposition with you know Tony, Tony Prime, right? Or I guess Tony, you know, like the original Tony. And yeah, so Tony, this, Tony Sub Zero. Tony Sub Zero, right? And there's going to be a um, some kind of a, uh, a a recapitulation of that, right? Or a uh, reprise of Tony Sub Zero um, at some point. Like I, I want to say, in sometime in the back third of series two um, is is my prediction. Um, but you know, I think that you know, in terms of um, the depictions of traumatic events and traumatic cliffhanger events. Um, something that this drew me to, um, uh, you know, both the, the conclusion of series one and, and the opening of, of series two was, um, actually events that have been happening in one of our, um, um, other main series. You mean the, the, the brutal murder of Chuck Bass. Yeah, the brutal murder question mark of Chuck. Um, so, for those of you who are are, um, are not who are actually have come to the show as Skins fans, um, you may or may not know that uh, our regular um, uh, these fucking teenagers podcast covers Gossip Girl and Glee um, on a, on a weekly basis, um, and we're we're doing Skins because both of these shows are on their summer hiatus, um, and. Uh, uh, most of you then probably know that uh, series three, or sorry, season three of Gossip Girl ended. You know, their big cliffhanger was that Chuck was shot um, in Prague, I believe, right? While he was soliciting some prostitutes, he got into a scuffle with some Czech hoodlums, um, and they 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 shot him, um, and he kind of crumples to the ground. And not before, uh, not know, before he could say though, not before he could say, "I'm Chuck Bass, Rosebud." <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, citizen, citizen Bass. Um, I would love to make a Citizen Kane remake about Chuck Bass. Old a mashup, Chuck, a mashup, a mashup of, of Citizen Bass. Um, but um, I mean, so what do you think? I mean, how do you see? 
I mean, so um, I in mean, a way we know. In a way, we don't have to speculate because yeah. you know we read the Vulture blog. Yeah. Right? So tell me. So so both tell me both what we know and then extrapolate from what we we actually know to to um, what what we expect to see. Uh, how we expect Gossip Girl to be dealing with um, this? We now know. We now know that that Chuck is in in Paris with the rest of the class uh, uh, cast, where he's been that uh, where he's been shooting with everyone else, and he's sporting now a a a, um, a cane. So, right, it, it seems like this is going to become a, a sort of an affectation or fashion accessory, rather than we wouldn't see. I, I actually, in both of these these episodes, I had the thought that that uh, here were things that we wouldn't necessarily see on American television. One is. Um, you know, one is a, a really kind of serious look at someone's recovery from an mm-hmm. illness. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing in the sketch episode is the, the like, a, a serious look at, uh, that is to say, a kind of realistic, no-holds-barred look at a, a handicapped person. And also a big close-up on, on an actor who is not model gorgeous, you know? This is uh, you. You you mean sketch herself or Sketch's mom? Uh, sketch herself in in the uh, the first, I think the first sequence of that when mm-hmm. she's kind of fantasizing herself. We see uh, uh, singing with Maxie. We see her in close up, and she's done up. Though later in the episode, she's done up much better. So you get the sense yeah. that this is. Uh, that she's being kind of made to look more homely than yeah. than actually she needs to be, but still y- we're close up and we hold on on someone who is not, uh, you know, who doesn't look like a, a model, you know, right. like a, like an Abercrombie and Fitch model, and that that you would not see on American television. Well, right, and specifically, I mean, in. Um you know, there's no, there's definitely no ugly people um, in in Gossip Girl, um, and I, I think there's really not even anybody in Gossip Girl who's supposed to be ugly, right? Like that's, that's it's never on the table. And then in in Glee, there are people I think who are more, there are like attractive and unattractive people in Glee, but in reality, there's no unattractive actors on the cast of Glee, right? Um, right. I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. There's there's I guess you could say there's slightly greater variance on Glee than there is on Gossip Girl, uh, but it's still within the constraints of of sort of American television. Yeah, no, and I mean a lot of those, right? Exactly, and so I think a lot of the uh, other signifiers of attractiveness are—they're actually attached to other kinds of, of signifiers, right? So there, there's like, you know, body body shape or you know, skin color or clothing things are actually used, and, and makeup are used to signal attractiveness as opposed to actual. Um, you know, I mean, um, you know, actual appearance, right? So that, yeah, I kind of agree that, that, um, what, what we see in, in skins is a bit, it's a bit different. And we've talked a lot about differences in the production styles of these shows. I mean, the fact that skins draws on a lot of, um, amateur actors and first time actors, um, and a, and a more open kind of casting process, um, which I think is probably at least part of that. Um, but let's, I mean, let's go back. So, so, so let's go, let's, you know, leave aside. I think we'll return to, um, the discussion of sketch and, and, and her mom. Um, but let's go back, let's go back to Tony. I mean, and so you know, what's, what's different about, um, you know, even because uh, so so let's let's unpack a little more about what's significant about how Tony Tony's injury is depicted, um, and how you know that's at variance with how similar things are depicted. Because I mean, Glee we've also discussed. Glee is unique for um, having a um, a handicapped individual as a main character, right? And there's the whole episode with uh, in which Artie is um, you know trying to dance and fantasizes about being a dancer. Um, and so actually, I think that that interest. So we have these three instances, right? Chuck being shot, uh, Artie in the wheelchair, and um, and and now Tony of three. I'd add, I'd add of, to this the Cheerio who has Down syndrome and Sue's uh, Sue's yeah. sister who yeah, has Down yeah, syndrome. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, not surprisingly, um, Gossip Girl treats these in the most superficial way, right? Um, there's not really space for for uh, uh, disability in, um, in in Gossip Girl, right? A life-changing injury in, in Gossip Girl is ultimately a, um, a a chance for what will then become a a, a anecdote, uh, a fashion accessory in the short term, and a a witty cocktail party anecdote in the long run, right? right. Old old chuck bass will maybe he'll permanently walk with a cane um but you know then you know he'll be able to you know tell that story about that time in prague um right. uh, you know as 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 the kind of you know um good old boy raconteur um that he is um and and i think that that and it also plays the role of the kind of you know the gossip girl short-term cliffhanger right so th- this is not going to even affect the narrative trajectory in the long run right it, it provides a a good nice shocking uh end of season cliffhanger and it provides a you know probably way for chuck and blair to start speaking to one another again even after she swore him off after he um deflowered jenny right now now that he's been shot um they're at least going to have to talk to each other and so then that's not you know that then we can kind of spend all of season four watching them uh, maybe or maybe not get back together right <laughs> Um, and I think that that's the main, but it doesn't go much more deeply into any of the, these things are, are pretty light, right? Chuck getting shot, even though it feels heavy. I mean, you kind of know, you know, because we know that Ed Westwick isn't, doesn't have any other major projects going on. We know that he's coming back and then, and that's been confirmed by the production shots that we've seen that right. some, sometime within the first few episodes, he's, he's hobbling around Paris, um, uh, on his uh, on uh, in his cane, yeah, you know. with, a, with a supermodel, with a blonde supermodel or something. With a blonde, yeah, exactly. So, so he's just fine, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the continuum that you posit is interesting from from Gossip Girl on the one end, from the from the sort of uh, totally sanitized world to Skins on the other end, to the, to the uh, uh, slightly more socially realistic world, right? Right, 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 right. And so Glee, I think, falls in the middle, um, and at least on this dimension. Um, um, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about that uh, Gossip Girl versus Glee being kind of a private versus a public school mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, public school is, is one of the democratizing institutions. I mean, that's, that's where you are. That's where everyone has to go. Like, they have to take everyone. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You're, you know, you're, you're likely to see people with, with special needs, right? Uh, uh, in public school, whereas it, probably not as much in private school, unless yeah. they unless they have you know extraordinarily wealthy parents who can not only uh, not only afford the uh, the private tuition, but also the the vast kind of paraprofessional um, uh, apparatus that needs to be put in place around around someone like that. Uh, when it's yeah. the responsibility of the state, um, uh, people who are not extraordinarily wealthy can take advantage of it, uh, can avail themselves of it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so that's, that's why you're likely to see, I think, a greater diversity of people um, in, uh, in, in that environment. So there's, you know, there is, there is that. Yeah, there, there's also a sense in which it's a little cynical uh, in the way that Glee is kind of a Benetton ad, you know? And how how do you mean? Well, I, I mean, uh, there's a there's a um, uh, not necessarily just a diverse group of high school students, but a quote unquote diverse group of of high school mm-hmm. students. You know, you know what I mean. And you see kind of a you see kind of a a, um, a, a demographic research. You know what I mean. You see you see kind of focus grouping behind it in a way that that you don't necessarily on skins. Well, right, right. and and the fact that in some ways that that kind of diversity in the cast is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit and I think it's come up in maybe in the main, the OTI podcast as well of it, it seems to not necessarily fit with this kind of small town or suburban Ohio, right? That, the, that these are kind of like the actual setting and the composition of the cast and the um, larger like set of extras, like does not necessarily, is not necessarily meaningful. It's not a statistical sample, right? Uh, in some sense. Right. And, like so, the likelihood of having a circle of friends with the characteristics um, 
that you, that you have of the cast and glee in a small town high school in Ohio is probably pretty relatively small actually whereas I, I mean I don't know um, because you could actually say that you know skins is also a you know very diverse cast um, kind of a broad a rainbow coalition um, but it, but it feels does it feel to you to be less less forced um, and more actually like a representative sample of Bristol well, I don't know. I don't know about Bristol, uh, England. I've actually been yeah. there, uh, but I, you know, I I don't have the the demographic data in front of me. Yeah. I'll say that yeah. that it's a large, if not a huge, cosmopolitan city like London. Yeah. It's a large yeah. city. I think there was a like a. Oh, I don't know what its industries are. You get the, you get the sense that there are, there are some working class industries in Bristol, like uh, like Maxie's dad in construction, or um, you know, or or things like this. Yeah. So, so that there, you know, there's kind of a there's a blue collar economic engine. Um, yeah. Right in this in this city, and so you know, like that, it it would attract a lot of people who. Uh, uh, a lot of people who who want to work in that um, thing in, in yeah, that kind of yeah. labor thing. Now, I mean, it, is it totally realistic that we, that um, uh, I I don't know realistic. That's a terrible word word to use in in uh, in relationship to a television show. I think like I, I I just have a feeling, and maybe it's because it's all kind of strange to me. So the whole thing, yeah, is, that's true, is viewed at a remove. I, you know, I just have a, th- I, I just have a feeling that mo- most of these people, that there's something kind of socially real about, uh, uh, socially unplanned, maybe about, uh, yeah, about skins or, or slightly less, slightly less focus grouped, you know, and yeah, uh, well, I think that I think part of that and part of why you you sense that, or I think it's also part of why at least the diversity doesn't make you feel that way um or it doesn't like raise not an alarm bell but it doesn't make you immediately think about sort of focus grouping and and sort of more commercial aims is is the fact that it's an urban setting right um and that you know at least um you know you have a sense that seems plausible again i mean i'd love to hear from our uk listeners of whether the diversity and the type of diverse social interactions that we see in skins is actually typical um, in the UK, but I mean, it seems sense that there's actually it's very likely that there, you know, the kinds of patterns of social self segregation that we see in, say, urban schools um, in the U.S. may be less common in um, in in the UK. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me as as someone again who's viewing it from arm's length or from you know across the pond um, seems plausible to me. Um, and, and so, but I think it also, it, it just makes sense of, you know, it, I, I'm, we're seeing a typology of, of setting here of, um, teen shows, uh, in terms of both on one hand, is it an urban or suburban setting? And then are, is the major social circle a, you know, lower or middle class setting or a, a upper class setting right well, so and we've i mean you could say the gossip girl has an urban setting but we've made right, the case so, before that the that the actual setting of gossip girl is in kind of a, a notional uh transnational aristocratic space yeah uh, but i think i think that i think that ultimately it is still i think that's correct but i think that that's ultimately still kind of an urban space right so it's an urban upper class space um and i think that you gossip girl would also you know the the one cell that we don't have, right? Uh, so, so I, I would put Gossip Girl in a um, in the urban upper class like um, quadrant. Um, you know, Glee in the suburban um, um, middle class uh, quadrant, or and then and um, Skins in the urban middle class lower class quadrant right so the quadrant that's empty at least in the shows that we're considering um on so so far in on on tft is the um upper class suburban right um and and i don't know what it's a good uh represent i don't know what would be a good upper class suburban show maybe maybe like, maybe like a, a, a some some of the characters in a John Hughes movie or something like that. Right. Or what about a, like, even like a 90210, um, you know, the vibe of a, of a, of a Beverly Hills is very different even than a, than the kind of, um, urbanism that's in, um, that, that's depicted in, in Gossip Girl. I mean, right? Los because, Angeles is such a special case as a, as, yeah. as a city. Well, right. I mean, I, I view Los Angeles as more like a suburb than a, like, 
Classic City. I mean, that's possibly its own um, podcast. Actually, there is a <laughs> actually for a a a, a detailed. Uh, a, a practically a master's thesis on uh, Los, <laughs> Los Angeles as a uh, as, as a suburb. Listen to the uh, overthinking episode called "A Map of Los Angeles," which uh, purports to be about Karate Kid, but is in, in actuality a, a, a dissection of of the sprawl, the nature of of, of, of suburb, the social in, yeah, in dynamics pain, of, of in, sprawl, in painstaking uh, in painstaking detail. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like uh, Los Angeles can be can be thought of as as dozens of suburbs in search of an herb, uh, but you know, um, d- just because it's not uh, it's not as dense and it's not as vertical architecturally yeah, as yeah, a yeah. you know as a thing like as, as a place like New York. And even if you go to if you go to like downtown Los Angeles, where you do have uh, kind of um, or or I mean any of the kind of the, the business districts, Century City, Westwood, uh, certain parts of Hollywood. Um, downtown Los Angeles, where you do have like a a, um, a collection of of high rise of skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe downtown are the only ones that are technically skyscrapers, but you know, bear with me. Um, what you find is that the the uh, the those buildings, those tall buildings, have have just totally inadequate uh, are totally inadequate in their address to the street street life mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that there is mm-hmm. no uh, you know sort of bustle of of street life and pedestrians like you right. would find in new york with you know bodegas and restaurants and little right. shops and you know uh coffee places and and you know every every little nook used to you know yeah. to maximum advantage to the point where like one of our one of our favorite restaurants in new york and i think you'll agree with me it was called piece of chicken right yes on, yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> on uh Forty uh, fifth Street or something. Yeah, it's forty forty fifth and ninth. And ninth, uh, which shares. I mean, it's it shares kitchen space with Five Napkin Burger around the corner, yeah. but you know, just serves out the back door of the of the restaurant of the. I mean, of the kitchen of this other restaurant. I mean, that's how. Yeah. That's the the. Um, uh, that's the attitude towards space in 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 uh, in New York, whereas whereas in LA it's very different. But I di- well, but I digress. Oh, no, no, no. But I think I'll, I'll let me pull this together in two ways. So one is that 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 aspect of urbanism is um, is it, it reminds me of I don't know if you've ever read um, any any Jane Jacobs, right? Uh, particularly the uh, Rise and Fall of Great American Cities, I believe it's called. Um, and it's so Jane Jacobs was a urban activist in 1960s New York, um, who also wrote um, one of the premier um, sociological texts on the city. Um, the, the, she lived in the West uh, the West Village. Um, and and observed the street life going on. I think it was like she lived on like Waverly Place or something like that. Um, and and, and describe you know what she describes as the the street bo- uh, ballet and the 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 informal order that arises through these kinds of mixed use urban hustle and bustle that you were just describing. Um, and so I think that that's like a, a key component of of urbanism. Um, and and also relates to why I why I also I feel like the um, at least. It's the the kind of um, interaction and the kind of diversity of the cast of skins is plausible. Um, knowing nothing about the, that particular city is that you know something that Jacobs describes is that you know um, in some I guess you would argue actually in functioning functioning urbanism is necessarily diverse in a certain sense. Um, it may not be ethnically diverse, um, you know, depending on the location, um, it, but in an American city almost necessarily is, but it is, is diverse in terms of uses of public space, of, um, of, of zoning, um, and of types of people um, going to and from, and that, that it creates a, there's a, there's a social order that is um, a, you know, almost a civic social order that incorporates um, people from a variety of spheres. And so I think that 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 component of urbanism makes the diversity of, of skins to me a, a bit plausible. Um, but I think there's another important piece of urbanism um, that that um, at least you know makes me think of uh, distinguishes older American cities, you know, East Coast American cities like New York, um, Boston, uh, and and maybe maybe DC from um, 
Um, West Coast uh, American cities right, yeah. like like uh, Los Angeles and, right. and let's say Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and we have to acknowledge that that Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco are probably special cases. Whatever, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know Portland well enough, but I mean, what I was going to say is that you know what what we see in a lot of American cities, and I think also the big and older European cities as well, um, is this right? It's it's. it's about the history of capitalism in some sense. And we've talked about this a bit in this show, maybe not in this facet, um, but that what, what you see in Gossip Girl, right, because you know, there's no formal American aristocracy, right? We did away with that. Um, but what the, you see in... Um, in, in Gossip Girl is a status where the bourgeois, you know, the bourgeoisie, um, and the the like the early movers of the urban, um, you know, commercial classes um, become the new aristocracy, right? They can carve out this uh, aristocratic space for themselves, and it's it's a necessarily uh, urban phenomenon, right? And that this was. Um, you know, like in in Europe, was was what marched lockstep with the creation of cities, right? I mean, the word bourgeoisie, you know, and you know the German word burger, right, literally means um, city dweller, right? Um, and this is a you know a a social class distinct from the aristocracy, distinct from like the landless serfs, right? Um, and that this you know was. You know, the, like the the accumulation of capital and the formation of cities moved hand in hand, right? And so I think what you know this, the the trajectory that happened um, in 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 the U.S., but that you see in cities like London and Paris as well, is is the creation of kind of um, a civic aristocracy or something like that, right? So it's it's you know the, you in in France, and it'll be interesting to see how Gossip Girl plays with with France. Um, you know, and we've talked about a little bit where the, there still is a little bit of you know vestiges of the nobility hanging around, and you know um, England also has a somewhat intact nobility. You also have a kind of high class um, urban urban elite, um, and I think that Gossip Girl really plays that out. You know, and you need that that could only work in an urban setting, um, right? Uh, and and whereas, like a high class, you know, something like nine hundred two one zero, or even, I mean, I don't know, what, what's the class level of uh, the characters in like Dawson's Creek? Um, oh, uh, well, sort of d- television middle class, you know, Te- television middle class. Like, like Daw- Dawson's uh, Dawson's parents, you know, have a, a, a sort of large, you know, detached house and live by themselves, um, uh, and so did Jen's parents, but. Uh, uh, Katie Holmes is like from the wrong side of the tracks, and so and so is Casey. But the wrong side, the wrong side of the tracks in Dawson's Creek is so picturesque, you know. Right, right, right. Compared to what we see in um, in skins, in, in skins, right. Well, well, where Sketch lives, you know, or where Maxi lives. Right. So let's let's bring it back to that. I mean, I think that I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything any any follow ups on my on my long long digression on uh, on 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 a typology of uh, settings of of teen of teen soaps of of urban urban and class dynamics? No, yeah. I think it's. I mean, I think that that that's definitely a book chapter when we when we finally do our. Uh, <laughs> When we finally publish the, our findings, yes. Yeah, spoiler alert: that's where we're headed, listeners. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah. This is this is you guys are listening to the drafting process of um, I, Ryan. I uh, hope you don't. I hope you don't mind if I'm the first author on it, so that I can submit it as you know doctoral work to an American studies <laughs> department. Yeah, as long as I'm the first author in the uh, on the political science version. That's how the the you know the that's how the give and take of interdisciplinary multi author work goes. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. You publish in several spheres, and and uh, and and we and we we go accordingly. Well, well, I mean, we can do. We can both. We can both release it as a book and also submit certain parts of it to various learned peer-reviewed journals, right? Yeah, I see the book as being more in the, um, you know, the the the, the subway beach reading, into, you know, pseudo intellectual beach reading. Right. Uh, it's a Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, Sudar Vankatesh, uh, Stephen Stephen Levitt, and and uh, Dubner. Right. The Stevens Levitt Levitt and Dubner. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but let's let, let's not. Uh, you know, let's 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 pause the circle jerk, shall we? And, and, <laughs> and continue. Let's 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 pause. Uh, 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 uh. We leave off this hot man on man action to <laughs> to segue into other 
hot man on man action because it's funny that you bring up the word the word typology because i was suggesting to you before we started recording that the the episode series two episode one is in a sense a, a typology of uh hot man on man action that is to or, say or i think hot i think hot is one of the dimensions of the action. Well, it's true. I guess, I guess there's a there's a continuum of, of of hotness, and there are certain other continua in the uh, in the man on man action we see. And let's just, I mean, let's just catalog this, right? Like right, the, right, um, right. You know, well, I think it's actually a, a continuum. I mean, you could actually generalize it more to be of person on person action, right? Um, in some sense, and and like man on man. Or you know, is one modality of person-on-person action that we are, that we are seeing. Uh, yeah, and we can, the, let's let's return to this. But I think that I, I think a lot of the interesting dimensions are. I mean, let's say even like a, a, a modalities of homosocial. Um, 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 interaction or something like that. Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I, I think that's right. I mean, from uh, here, to, uh, the the one that's a special case is Maxie's mother. Um, you know, uh, helping right. helping Tony when he when he has to urinate, and there's I mean, there's kind of a it's, it's actually kind of touching, and like the, it's, it's, it's it's very touching, in fact. <laughs> it's played for for how awkward and and kind of ridiculous it is, <laughs> and and how how the people in that situation are kind of unequipped to uh, you know to to really deal with that that situation. Now, when they when the um, Oh, I forget who shows up. Chris and Chris and uh, Chris and Jal, I believe. Jal, yeah. Uh, who look through the um, who look through the window and and see uh, Maxie's mom knelt before Tony as though she were performing oral sex on him when she's in fact just buttoning him up um, right. after because he's you know he can't control his hands anymore. Uh, right. That this is this is a kind of horror image that that they're they're sort of traumatized by. But I think the real action in this is uh, you know. Uh, Tony and his father, right? Tony and Sid, um, uh, Maxie and his father, mm-hmm. um, uh, Maxie and Tony, uh, Maxie, uh, uh, Maxie's father and the other construction worker, that guy mm-hmm. and his son, who, uh, uh, oh, I forget his name, um, uh, Maxie and the other guy who's... Yeah, Dale. Dale, Dale, right? Who's secretly gay, right? Right. Uh, right. That this right. is, you know, from the kind of yeah, it's it, homosocial. I think is right, and there's a uh, there's a continuum of eroticism in this yeah. relationships from from zero to uh, you know from zero to a hundred. Let's say. Well, uh, and I, I think that you can actually put um, um, in a some a certain sense the the uh, the sketch episode is a, is a coda to this as well because she. I mean, I think she's aware. Right, that um, I mean, it's not. Did you just say a coded? Uh, I'm not sure what is I that, said. Is that a word? Is that a, is that a word in in the social sciences? Is a uh, coded to this? That is to say, it partakes in it partakes in the code. Uh, I'm not sure what I said actually. I, I literally don't. I'm not totally aware of all the things like that. Yeah, because ske- your point is that sketch is like tying down her boobs and you know trying yeah, to appear as a boy. Exactly, 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 exactly. I, I think I said encoded. I think I said encoded. Oh sure. Okay, got it. Um, which is a real world word. Um, it is, not but it. I like. I actually like a coded better. I. I mean, I think like non-oriented sexuality. Yeah, I think we. Yeah, are you making... really are. You're. You're going to be a great American studies uh, PhD someday. Like, <laughs> it must be. It must be nice to be part of a discipline that willy willy nilly make up. Like, you're actually rewarded for making up um, nonsense words. <laughs> my uh, my master's thesis in, in American studies is called you know, <laughs> towards a general theory of a codedness. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, um, what was I going to say? Is, is, is that, right, so that she, um, it seems that, you know, she's, she's tying down her boobs. She even says to Maxie, like, look, I'm not, I'm an ugly girl. I have tiny breasts. Like, just pretend, like, just pretend that I'm a dude, right? And so that even though, you know, there, there are moments of femininity, right, in her kind you know, in the, in the, the cutaway when she's imagining herself singing, um, in the, in the masturbation, uh, scene, um, which I hope we get to discuss. <laughs> um, no, because it's, I think, really interesting, right? And, like, in terms of depictions of of masturbation on television um you know there's not a ton um and so i think it's 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 interesting but in general there's at least a little bit of that dynamic you know she's she's trying to actually 
put herself into this typology, right? She's aware that there's this typology out there and wants to forcefully, like, redraw the boundaries of it to, to put herself in. Um, which is, I think, why Sketch is an interesting character. I hope we get to... We might end up getting to her more next uh, next week. It may, yeah, uh, it, may, it may happen. Is there anything to say about uh, Maxie and his father versus Kurt and his father, who both seem sort of like paragons of, of parenting? Um, yeah, I think that they're very similar, right? I mean, I think it's a very um, similar... So I think the, the, the obvious the similarities are most obvious, right? So that, that it's these kind of plain-spoken, no-nonsense, um, working-class guys. Um, like, right, Kurt's dad runs a, what, auto repair shop? Right. Um, um, and and uh, Maxie's dad is, is a builder, Right, um, and so that they both are are pretty no nonsense and yet extremely tolerant of their sons and per- and fiercely protective of their sons right and and so in fact the um you know the 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 stuff that um, that that Maxie's dad says to the guys who are picking on him, and it's very similar. Actually, read read to me as being very similar as the scene in which uh, Kurt's dad lashes out against Finn right. um, for for saying homo. Right? I mean, those those were extremely similar. Had like were extremely similarly effective from a dramatic standpoint, um, and 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 in, you know characterized the uh, characters in similar ways. Um, I think a, a difference actually though. A very interesting difference is that, and I don't know what this means. Maybe you can help me think through this. Is we also see there's this one there's one scene. Our introduction to Maxie's dad is him doing the dance routine with the dog, right? Um, the country western um, like fancy fancy dance dog routine, right? Right. Um, which which is is totally out of left field when it's introduced. Um, you got to believe, though, that there are whole, like, conventions of people who, like, you know, drive their vans into, you know, some field for a week and set up tents and, and do that kind of, you know, country square dancing or line dancing or right. dog dancing or whatever it happens to be. Right, right. So that well, so what's, what's, what's really interesting is, right, because, like, you know, Glee sets up much more of a, at least in, in that sense of, like, a, a more of a dichotomy, more of a, a, a clear dichotomy of masculinity, whereas at least in um, in, in the world of, um, and, and, you know, some characters break, are try, they're trying to push on this a little bit in Glee, but not, not, not too much, right, that you are either, you know, you're either a top or a bottom, right? You're either a man's man, you know, uh, or a or or um, or identified as um, you know as, as gay and, and more more feminine, right? Whereas um, you know, um, Maxie's dad is a dancer, but is also a um, uh, 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 is is also a tough construction worker, right? Um, right. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, uh, uh, yeah, should we go into our email here? Yeah, I think we'll, yeah, yeah if you don't have an a immediate reaction to that, um, let's, 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 let's take it to, take it to the email. Uh, so we got a we got an email from uh, we got an email from Sonia uh, who wrote in who wrote in because in in uh, the last episode we talked about um, uh, we talked about sort of hot man on man versus hot woman on woman uh, action uh, and and she uh, Sonia points to a, a and now I'm quoting a massive sub, <coughs> subculture though I'll I'll close the quotation to say that if it's if it's that massive how sub of a culture can it be. Uh, she says there's a massive subculture of women. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. I mean, the culture, it's a great big culture out there. I always end up asking for, asking for listener feedback and being such a dick when the listeners do write in. I'm going to go ahead and be an advocate for our... Um, for for our listeners, look, you can have um, massive massive solar systems, and they themselves are still subunits of of universes, right? So, um, uh, or of galaxies. I mean, sorry, you know, you can have solar systems that are that are massive, or you know, you get the point. Um, there are scales, there are orders of magnitude. You can have massive massive subcultures. Um, I think I think massive is is a perfectly fine. Um, uh, modifier for subculture. All right, I stand corrected. My apologies, Sonia. We haven't even gotten to your. We haven't even gotten to your main point. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish. But uh... <laughs> but women have one of the best subcultures of all time. Uh, 
Okay, so Sonia, Sonia writes in this, uh, there's a massive subculture of women that uh, watch um, uh, man-on-man action. That is to say that watch pornography featuring two men. Uh, or if we wish to be ridiculously PC, person-on-person action in which the two persons involved both have male genitalia and gender identity. But, she says, most of these women are straight. Um, I'll confess that I don't have hard data on this. Continue. As a social scientist, I really appreciate um, the value of hard data. Um, <laughs> only, only my, only my own ob- observation, but I do a lot of observing. She says, uh, "I have two terms for you that, if it doesn't threaten your sexuality, you want to Google." Nice <laughs> way to taunt us. Um, slash and uh, Yaoi. Uh, which are, are uh, the second is a Japanese word, I think. Both of these uh, refer to a type of romantic, erotic, and or pornographic entertainment made by women for women, with the focus being relations between two or more men. Uh, yaoi is different. Yaoi usually takes a manga, a manga, a Japanese comic book format, and, uh, uh, and there are about as many um, orig- uh, original stories as there are fan manga. Uh, that is to say, the diversity of um, yaoi uh, uh, comic books, um, it, it's user-generated content, and so it, there is all the kind of diversity that you would expect. Uh, yaoi has lots of sexual rules and sex politics tied up uh, that Slash, for the most part, does not. For example, in yaoi, there is always an, uh, an uke and a seime, uh, that is to say, a submissive slash receptive and a dominant aggressive partner. The, uh, the seme, the aggressive one, is always taller than the uke. The uke is softer and more feminine. Uh, and actually, she points out, the Tony Maxi dynamic seems to roughly follow these lines. Uh, so, um, now to attempt some explanation, Sonia says, why do we find this sexy usually doesn't cross a slasher's mind. To be fair, we don't, you, to, wait, is there a definition of slash in here? Oh, uh, slash, um, yes, slash is fan fiction or fan art based on a pop- popular entertainment item, uh, where it's, you know, one character slash the other. Kirk slash Kirk, Spock. Kirk Spock, right, is the yeah. class. Or, you know, uh, in, in the Glee fandom, it's Puck Kurt, right, is one that, um... Uh, that is a pairing that is, that is popular. Right. Um, so now she goes into the explanation. Why do we find this sexy usually doesn't cross the slasher's mind. We just do. And Sonia draws a comparison between other arbitrary norms of, of sexiness, like breasts or high heels, um, that are thought of as normal because they're widespread. Um, uh, why she asks though, here, here are some, uh, uh, here are some theories that she has. If you like angst and drama, the homosexuality angle provides it ready-made. Uh, those, um, uh, it also is a way to kind of shake off the shackles of, of what she calls craptacular gender politics. Uh, have you seen how awful she says most straight porn is? So that this, this kind of fiction provides an alternative. Um, it, uh, uh, number four, she says it's a it's a kind of porn that is uh, or a, a kind of kind of erotic uh, representational space that is not geared towards straight men. Um, uh, if one man is hot, two men are even hotter. Uh, the men are usually better looking. Um, uh, playing with gender roles is is kinky and attractive. Uh, the female characters can be kind of under underdeveloped and boring. Huh. This is this is actually this is this is one of the most interesting. Um, uh, that is to say, it's a it's a lemons into lemonade argument. That is to say, in 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 you know mainstream entertainment where the female characters are generally underdeveloped uh, relative to the male characters, doing these kind of fanfic pairings, uh, you have more material to work with if you're if you're yeah. using the two the two male characters. That's that is interesting. Um, uh, and also, it's it's a way for uh, for queer viewers to to uh, see themselves or try to see themselves uh, represented in an otherwise kind of barren landscape of of a representation for uh, you know for queer characters in 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 television. So yeah, I mean, thank you for getting us hip to to all that, Sonia. I mean, are there any other listeners who who sort of partake in these uh, these kind of subcultures uh these massive subcultures of uh you know various internet fandoms or i mean various pop culture fandoms i mean i wonder if there's i wonder if on fanfiction.net there are uh 
you know, um, Tony Sid uh, slash Vic or like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Um, there, and there, and there, well, there must be Maxi Anwar slash Vic, right? Yeah, and, and there must be. I mean, I'm sure there's some some like Chuck Nate slash Vic out there, right? Like, I feel like gossip, the Gossip Girl world is rife. Uh, for, yeah, for this for this kind of thing, we also got a great reading response from Cat. Thank you for that, Cat. We really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so I think that so let's. I mean, I mean, I think that so so. How do you see this relating to our prior discussion of of the typology of man on man action? Well, it's. I mean, um, it, the thing the thing about these these kind of uh, fan fiction responses is that they they. Um, uh, they seem to create a a, a representational space that uh, people prefer for for the variety for the variety of reasons that uh, that Sonia lists and that in in skins where as as you say there seems to be a little more attention given towards uh, towards complicating the the uh, gender dynamics um, maybe you know maybe you don't need that I mean maybe the the actual primary entertainment product right uh, fulfills the um, uh, fulfills the need a little more to to see a um, uh, to see oneself uh, represented if one is a, a queer viewer or to see um, uh, you know things that are kind of more more uh, more interesting and less sort of mainstream. Yeah, no, I think that, I, I think it will be interesting to see to actually look and see if there is a a skin slash community. So you know, we'll we let's look into that. Um, but listeners, if you you know, know know of that at all, or want to do some uh, some some freebie research for your for next week's reading response? Um, you know, look into that. Um, oh, skins on fanfiction dot net one thousand four hundred eight stories. So it's there. So it's 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 there, huh? Um, so let's. But but I think then interesting. So then then the homework is let's like say um, let's let's look to see whether or not it exists and see. You know, I don't know. I don't know if there's space to do some content analysis of it. Yeah, this uh, is and, this and, is very interesting, and it's also it's also great on fanfiction.net. I mean, this is the thing that like the the fact that that uh, technology enabled a lot of these uh, kind of geographically diverse subcultures to find each other. Uh, they gen- the the people who partake in them generally tend to be technically savvy. So there's a whole like uh, you know dynamic filtering system on the the skins TV show fanfiction page, which is fanfiction.net slash TV slash skins. Uh, so that you can you can uh, filter by by genre, by rating, by language, by you know characters, um, things things like this. We'll put some we'll put some links in the uh, uh, we'll put some links in the show notes. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to check out. Um, I guess one final thought, and then maybe we'll we'll close up. Is is that? Yeah, we I didn't that, we didn't really get to sketch, which is okay because no, I, that's okay. Let's 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 um we'll, we'll we'll hit it next week. I think so. So let's 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 say next week um we'll put um episodes two and three of of series two of skins on on the uh, on the docket. So that's sketch and Sid, I believe. Um, but I think it's just a, a thing to to close on. Here is you know we were talking about you know apologies of man on man action and I, I threw out um, a, a term called uh, homosociality right um, and on one hand right you know you, you can look at both of the the roots um, the root of that and it's intuitive but I just wanted to like you know mention it's it's the the history of the concept a bit right so there's a literary theorist named uh, Eve uh, Kosofsky Sedgwick yep right um, and, and wrote a book called Between Men uh, English Literature and Male Homosocial Desire um, if I remember correctly the argument of this that a lot of um, you know the the dynamics of and I think she looks at I'm not sure exactly what uh, era of literature she looks at. Um, well, one one of the big one of the big examples is Milton's Paradise Lost, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature in any language ever. Uh, <laughs> and the the argument that she makes is that the the that Eve is there as kind of an interface for Adam and God yeah, yeah, to yeah, have yeah. A, have a relationship with with one right. another. Right, 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 and and so right in general, and we see this. Um, and I actually wrote about this a bit with re- respect to the um, 
American reality show bromance, right? The Brody Jenner, um, like dating, not dating show, um, in which he's like, he was, uh, adopted the format of a, of a dating reality show to find his new best bud. Um, and, and I talked a little bit about the dynamics of homo, uh, of homosocial, de- uh, behavior in that, but, you know, in general, the, the idea as Matt was saying is that, um, in fact, a, a the the pursuit or competition uh, pursuit of a female romantic relationship or competition between males for one woman is often of um, a, a a a what a filter or masks in fact that uh, the actual expression or sublimation of of male desire right of of male uh, of, of male desire because it is a socially appropriate way to express you know, um, uh, male desire, um, in, in a time where there are, um, you know, strong norms against, um, against, against homosexual expression of, of male desire. Right. Right. Um, and, and that, like see- in, in bromance, it's like, can you bring five hot girls to my party yeah. tonight? Like, I think that was yeah, a challenge exactly. actually. And it, yeah, you exactly. know, and that, that it's really, you know what I mean? It's really, a t- it's, it's really about the men, but the, right. uh, the women are kind of, uh, kind of an interface. I'll just note that in, um, in fiction centered around teenage girls, groups of groups of friends and best friends, and and the various ways it's it's sort of figured, uh, this is a lot clearer, right? Mm-hmm. That is to say, boyfriends may come and go, but the sisterhood of the traveling pants is forever. <laughs> um, right. And I think that's that's really interesting. Um, I mean, I think that you see it very much in in season one of Skins, right? So that a lot of actually um, uh, like the Sid Tony dynamic, right? So so that I think that that form of homosociality is the main form that's that's depicted in season one of of Skins, right? right? So they so you have um, the 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 what uh, Sid. Um, uh, the Sid, Tony, Michelle, Cassie, you know, love rhombus or something like that, or, you know, right. love, love. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, or maybe it's just like a parallelogram or something, right? It's, it's a, not exactly, it's not a triangle exactly. And it's not strictly speaking a square. I don't know. It's some love shape of four people. It's mostly a triangle and then Cassie's kind of there. But, uh, you know, the point is that in fact, the relationship between Tony and Sid is really the operative one there, even though Sid, uh, you know, Tony's trying to get Sid laid. Um, and, and there's also, uh, you know, uh, and, and Sid is pursuing, uh, Michelle, all the access is the, the, the relationship between Tony and, um, um, and Sid, and in some sense, the you know Tony's attempted seduction of Maxie is, like inverts that, right? It's, it's still. I was like, just about to say that that it's uh, you know what I mean that that's kind of like a, a heterosocial, um, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Whereas, and then I think, um, but what we're starting to see in season one or episode one and episode two of season two is actually an expanded vocabulary of homosociality. Right, um, and and I think that's a really interesting thing that that Skins is doing um, and is is pushing in a really interesting way um, beyond you know the typical representations of homosexuality um, into like this this new relationship between Maxie and Tony, right? Which is um, you know almost is is much more similar to a. I don't know. I mean, we, uh, we, maybe we can even pick up next week of what it's like. Um, but it's it's a different kind of, um, of, of 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 homosexuality. It's almost much more like a marriage, right? It's like in sickness and health, right? Um, uh, kind of of dynamic, um, and it's it's this and it's like it's a definite kind of of love, right? It's hard to describe what's going on as something other than other than love, but it's not romantic love, right? It's a and it's not like you know bro love either. It's it's there's something very tender but non sexual about um, about what's depicted there, right? And the competitive uh, and the competitive. Uh uh, relationship now seems to be between um, Michelle and the posh girl, right? Who kind mm. of use Tony as an interface for their, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, for their kind of catty uh, uh, competition with one another. Yeah, no, I think that that's that's correct. Um, and then I think there's like a new dynamic of of parent-child relations that also emerge right here. So I think that, again, so I think in some sense. There's a um, you know another axis. So we were mostly teasing out the axes of 
of of homosociality of forms of homosociality um, and, your, and your, the typology that you wanted to talk about. But I think any good typology is a is, is a is a two by two, right? There's a, there's always you always want to bring in um, a, like I think it always helps to bring in another um, another axis, right? And so this age axis I think is useful and is a way in thinking about parent child interactions or parent like and childlike interactions, right, across age groups, right? And so you, so I think that the, um, you know, the Maxie's mom and, and Tony interaction is interesting in this respect. Um, and also, you know, the relationship between Maxie and, and his father as another kind of, um, you know, man-on-man interaction um, that's different from, you know, an, an interesting contrast to, like, Tony and his father, um, for instance. Sure. Um, but I think we'll have time to unpack that another day. Um, and so, you know, give, give us a call. Um, what do you think of our, uh, of, of, of the man on man action that is this podcast? Um, you know, I guess as, as an aside, maybe, um, you know, maybe maybe we should make this podcast less of a um, uh, of a sausage fest, less of a man on man affair. Um, so if uh, you are a um, a a a double a double X chromosomed uh, uh, listener uh, and like to, would like to join our uh, join the fun, join the uh, you know be triangulated between uh, between us uh, or join our love our intellectual love triangle or love rom- rhombus. Um, give us a call at two zero three two eight five six four zero one. 20 fat Jago one or send us an email um, podcast uh, or sorry TFT podcast at overthinking it dot com. It would help if you it would help if you it would help if you studied an academic field that is neither uh, English literature nor political science. It would it would help if you are in a like I don't know what like um, well you need not be an you know, academic you need not be an academic necessarily either. I mean, but but have a background, have a person. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, like mechanical engineering would be ideal. <laughs> Um, yeah, it would also be ideal for, for showing that, uh, um, uh, Larry Summers, that he's a poo face. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. And so even if you're not interested in, in, in podcasting, we, re- we welcome everybody's comments, you know, join the voices. I think that it's been really exciting to see, um, you know, over the last months, this this pick up, you know, we're we're really grateful for everybody's uh, time and attention. I mean, I think we have, um, you know, as far as I can tell, the the most dedicated podcast listeners uh, on the internet. Both because they they put up with they put up with a lot, they slog through a lot, right? Uh, you, you, you all are, are willing to uh, uh, listen to a lot of ums and uhs and a lot of of needless spoilers and vulgarity, um, and and really come through, you know, deliver the goods um, uh, in terms of. Of, of the reading responses, um, but send the text messages too to the twenty fat Jago one at reply us on the twitters um, and uh, and and join the con- and you know write it in the show notes on overthinkingit.com um, and you know help us you know you know fill in the boxes of our typologies um, you know uh, talk talk to us about uh, your experiences with slash fiction and yaoi um, you know talk to us about uh, coercion capital and uh, urbanism but most of all. Bring bring in your your perspective on these, these fucking, fucking teenagers. teenagers.